0: Yeah. <music> With social media disasters, Jake and Logan Paul seemingly taking the boxing world by storm, it's understandable if you see that as yet another sign that 2020 is probably the end of days. But truthfully, white-collar boxing using minor celebrities is nothing new. And let us not cast the first stone MMA community, we have booked plenty of fights with notable figures to simply draw more cash to an event ourselves. In the spirit of that fairness towards our cousin boxing, let's take a look at 10 times MMA promotions signed celebrities up to do real fighting, and the results were real bad. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point, And these are the 10 Worst Popular Star MMA Signings. Number 10, Johnny Morton. You always hear fans argue that if a truly elite athlete in the NFL ever chose to do MMA, it would be over because they're so superior physically, there's no way that anybody would be able to handle them. And while Greg Hardy may or may not prove the full potential of an NFL star in the sport, Johnny Morton didn't do much to help the argument in 2007. The All-American out of USC was drafted in the first round and played in the league for nearly a decade, scoring 43 touchdowns with 624 receptions. Two years after his stint in the NFL, Morton participated in the K-1 Dynamite USA event, the same one that's the debut of Brock Lesnar in Mixed Martial Arts. he's quite a big boy. Morton's bout with Bernard Akai kicked off the pay-per-view. Akai had black belts in Taekwondo and Judo, with one pro bout under his belt. Morton came out firing, doing his best Young Vitor impression, before shooting hard on a takedown attempt. Once his opponent got his feet back under him, though, it was a single right hand that ended the show. Out! Cold. Thanks for trying mixed martial arts. I know this may come as a surprise to you, but Johnny had elevated testosterone levels and tested positive post-fight for anabolic steroids. What a surprise. Morton called it an MMA career after just 38 seconds. Number 9. Steve Williams. Dr. Death Steve Williams was what they called in the pro wrestling business a real shooter, someone you didn't want to get into a real fight with, and to be fair, he had some bona fides. Williams was a four-time All-American wrestler and finished in the top six every year he competed, in addition to playing guard for the Oklahoma Sooners, before being selected to play in the ill-fated but star-filled USFL as a professional in 1983. By any standard, a pretty badass guy. My guess is, though, you only know his name because he's that guy who was supposed to win the WWF Brawl for All and lost. Yes, in 1998 at the height of the Attitude era, the WWF thought it would be a good idea to have wrestlers participate in a shoot-fighting tournament, and Dr. Death was famously KO'd in the quarterfinals by the eventual winner Bart Gunn. I say winner, but for his efforts, he got viciously knocked out by Butterbean at Wrestlemania 15. You got knocked the fuck out! Now, what does this have to do with our list? Well, Dr. Death fought one other time in a sanctioned bout, and that was at K-1 Beast 2004 against Alexey Ignashov, an accomplished kickboxer. How on earth the poor doctor found himself in this situation, I do not know. Well, actually I do. He was a big-name draw in Japan during his wrestling career. 22 seconds of knees, a soccer kick, and then a shove was enough for the referee to call it. Steve Williams never fought again. Number 8. Ken Keniko. I bet you didn't expect an Academy Award winner to be on our list. The Japanese Academy Awards, maybe not Hollywood, but still prestigious. Ken Kenko, best known for his role in the critically acclaimed film Kids Return, as well as a ton of Japanese television series, got a wild hair up his ass in 2005 after doing a little bit of training in combat sports and decided he wanted to try mixed martial arts. Being a celebrity, Pride and K1 were more than happy to oblige him. At Shockwave 2005, the big New Year's Eve show, Kenko kicked off the card against Charles Bennett. Yep, that Charles Bennett. Truthfully, Ken didn't look awful, but he certainly didn't look like a pro fighter either, and was easily handled on the ground before being submitted via armbar, the only such victory in Bennett's career. He only ever had six subs total. That probably should have been enough for the actor, but that next October he would compete again and lose again via armbar at K1 Hero 7, and then a quick turnaround for the New Year's Eve show at K1 Premium Dynamite 2006, where he would lose a third time before calling it an MMA career in exactly a year's time. Number 7. Yuji Nagata Japanese MMA promotions love booking pro wrestlers. Sometimes that turned out great. Kazushi Sakuraba is a legend in both arenas. Nobuhiko Takada, while by no stretch of the imagination a great fighter, without his rivalry with Hicks and Gracie, Pride FC would never have been formed. And while plenty of strong catch wrestlers have entered the sport and been successful, Yuji Nagata is a particularly interesting example for our list. By all accounts, Nagata is a certified Japanese pro wrestling legend, a two-time IWGP Heavyweight Champion, World Heavyweight Champion, and GHC Heavyweight Champion. He's the only wrestler to have ever won the three major singles tournaments in Japanese pro wrestling. The dude is a star, and while he had some. From AMI wrestling background in his youth, there isn't exactly a great argument for why he was fighting two of the best heavyweights of a generation in his only professional MMA bouts. And yet that's exactly what happened. At Inoki Bumbaye 2001 and 2003, Yuji fought Mirko Krokop and Fedor Emelianenko. Talk about some mismatches. Nagata would get left leg cemeteried by Krokop in just 21 seconds, no surprise there. The most interesting thing about the Fedor fight is that Bruce Buffer is announcing it, and he calls Fedor the former Pride champion in 2003 3. What kind of future shit is going on in Japan? The fight lasted every bit of a minute. The Last Emperor looked like a shark tearing apart a seal. Nagata was inducted into the Wrestling Observer Newsletter Hall of Fame in 2018, but not for those two fights. Number 6. Bam Bam Bigelow. Ooh, the great Bamajama. There, a big boom bagelow here. Poor, poor bammer. You Japan Super Fighting 96 Volume 1. It was an ambitious event that was the first to use a cage in Japan, featured a women's bout before any had ever occurred in the United States, and had name American talent like Dan Severn, Don Fry, and Kibo Leopoldo. The main attraction, however, was the pro wrestler Bam Bam Bigelow. He was just a year removed from headlining WWF's WrestleMania show, and the budding promotion paid him $100,000 to bring more eyes to the product in hopes of starting a whole series of events. Unfortunately, nobody showed up, the Japanese media hated the event, and they spent so much on Bigelow and the other named Talent, they went out of business immediately after their first show. So how did Bam Bam fare? Well, considering he had absolutely no fight experience whatsoever, pretty terrible still actually. Kimo absolutely brutalized Bigelow before sinking in a rear naked choke to finish the fight in 2 minutes 15. Bammer claims the fight was a worked bout, not meant to be real competition, but if that's the case, nobody must have told Leopoldo, because that's a big nasty cut. It was. Pre- Probably the big fella's way of saving face after getting embarrassed. Bigelow never fought again, but his headlining spot at U-Japan will forever remain a bizarre footnote in the history of Japanese mixed martial arts. And that's saying something. Number five, Sean Gannon. I know what you're thinking right now. I don't know who Sean Gannon is. That's not a celebrity. You know who he is. You just don't know his name. He's the cop that beat Kimbo Slice in a street fight. Oh, that's Sean Gannon. Yes, the very one. When Kimbo had taken over the internet in the early 2000s with his legendary street fight videos, nobody could seemingly beat the man. Nobody but Gannon in 2004. The fight is honestly probably too brutal to even show you here. Uh Uh-oh, I respectfully disagree. But Sean looked like Sloth from Goonies by the end of it. On the heels of that internet Game, the UFC decided they would try to catch lightning in a bottle and signed the Boston Police veteran to a bout at UFC 55 in the co-main event against Brandon Lee Hinkle. This fight went on after Forrest Griffin who had just won the ultimate fighter. I mean, that's some disrespectful shit. Mm. Hinkle had wins over Travis Fulton and Jorge Rivera in his 19-fight pro career and he was a two-time Division II national champion wrestler. Ganon had fought three times on the regional scene. This matchup was a mistake. Sean was taken down almost immediately and remained there until the referee was forced to stop the match because he wasn't defending all the punches to the face. It would be the final professional fight of Sean Gannon's career. Four years later, Kemba would make his UFC debut. Number four, Jose Canseco. The 2009 Super Hulk Grand Prix. It wasn't enough for Dream to do freak show fights here and there. They wanted a whole clusterfuck of a tournament with the likes of Bob Sapp. Minnawa Man, who, spoiler alert, wins the whole thing, of course he does. Hongman Choi, a staple of the free show fight, Sokaju, Mark Hunt, Gegard Masasi for some reason, what? And of course, baseball pariah Jose Canseco. You might remember Canseco from the MLB steroid scandal, reality TV, or a Lonely Island album. The former Oakland A has a long history of claiming black belts in just about everything, as well as trying to fight people unsuccessfully. In 2008, he was knocked out by former NFL player Vai Sikahima in a boxing match, then he went to a majority with Danny Bonaducci in a three-round exhibition. The next logical step was, of course, 7'2 Hongman Choi in the first round of the Super Hulk GP. The former Bash Brother wore his best karate pants for the 77-second bout and ran for dear life after nearly every shot he threw. Eventually, Choi would get Conseco to the ground, or he was forced to tap to strikes or die. That was his first and final mixed martial arts outing. Number 3, James Tony. From 1991 to 1994, James Tony was one of the most accomplished boxers on the planet. He was the IBF and Lineal Middleweight Champion. He was the IBF Super Middleweight Champion. In 2003, he was the IBF Cruiserweight Champion and fought two times for World Heavyweight titles in the early 2000s. Five years later, at 42 years old, he would compete in his first ever MMA bout against five-time UFC champion Randy Couture. Now look, don't get me wrong. Tony was absolutely an elite boxer, and even at 42, I have no doubt he was capable of knocking out Randy Couture or any other heavyweight for that matter. But there's a reason Floyd Mayweather is never going to take Conor up on that offer to fight in the cage. Boxers box. They don't kick, they don't wrestle, they don't grapple. Had Tony fought a lesser opponent, his inclusion on a UFC card might have made more sense, but not against one of the all-time greats the sport has ever had, a Hall of Famer with an Olympic wrestling pedigree. Dana White and everybody else knew exactly what was going to happen. James has said in interviews since, he did train the other aspects of the sport, but he knew his only chance was a quick knockout. A quick knockout did not come in less than 20 seconds tony was on his back and mounted before the end of the round he would succumb to an arm triangle who could have seen that coming number two cm punk just when they think they've got the answers, I change professions. CM Punk was the biggest star in pro wrestling when he took his ball and went home in 2014. Later that year at a pay-per-view event, it was announced that Punk, aka Phil Brooks, had signed a multi-fight deal with the UFC. The CM Punk experiment was born, to backlash from fighters and fans alike. This guy with zero experience gets a pay-per-view slot in his mid-30s after more than a decade of getting his body wrecked in pro wrestling? Yes. And because of his inclusion, that initial event, UFC 203, would see nearly double the buys, the only reason he's not number one on this list. The UFC let Punk lay low for years after the announcement, so he could focus on training full-time at Rufus Sport. By all accounts, he took things very seriously leading up to his debut against Mickey Gall, a 24-year-old up-and-comer with only two pro fights. Despite his effort, this was a massive mismatch. Brooks was slaughtered in his first outing, being beaten down and finished with a rear-naked choke in just over two minutes. Nearly two years later, Punk would return at UFC 225 to take on sometimes fighters, sometimes Times reporter Mike Jackson. While you can certainly argue that he fared better, he lost on all three cards 3026. Yeah, this was very, very bad. While Punk is still loosely affiliated with the promotion, it looks like the experiment is over. Number one, Dada 5000. The fact that there are two entries on this list, who were specifically hired solely because of Kembo Slice, should really tell you the influence that man had in his short time in the sport. It's 2016, Kimbo had returned to MMA the year prior to settle his score with Ken Shamrock at Bellator 138. It did massive ratings. So of course, the promotion wanted Slice in another fight. But who? Who could be the opponent that would draw just as Shamrock did? Enter Dada 5000, the subject of a recent popular documentary called Dogfight, who ...claimed beef with Kimbo from their street fighting days. 5000 was on the come up, and alleges Slice and his manager made sure he didn't get the fame he deserved. They deny the story, but it makes for a solid Bellator co-main event, doesn't it? No... It doesn't, though, really, so you're you're not not really thinking this through. Dada would be forced to cut a massive amount of weight heading into the fight, causing his body to be a complete wreck. After a surprising amount of grappling, the two street legends were absolutely exhausted and spent the rest of the fight winging ineffective shots at each other until 5,000 literally just collapsed from exhaustion. According to Dada, he nearly died and spent two weeks in the hospital following the bout. The fight would be ruled a no contest after Kimbo popped for steroids, A fitting end to this debacle that set MMA back at least six years. You got baby nuts. I bet you my nuts bigger than yours. Huge shout out to Max Randall for editing this video together. Follow him on Twitter at Max underscore Randall. A big, big thank you to Ben Rosette, who provided that sweet tune you heard in the intro. Check out his music by clicking the link in the description and go give him a follow on his Instagram and Twitter page at Ben Rosette. Thanks for watching, please give us a like and subscribe. We've got three new videos or more for you every single week. Let us know what you thought of the video in the comments below. Follow On Point MMA on Twitter and have yourself a wonderful day.